All right, so uh, today we're going to start our series on forgiveness, and I'm really excited about this series. As I mentioned before, this is the first year CTK Blaine's had a preaching team, and so we talked about what are the things that, um, what are the topics, what are the things that we need to talk about as a church, and I think the first one that came up is this idea of forgiveness, because forgiveness is our DNA as Christians. Forgiveness is woven throughout Scripture, and it's, it's woven throughout the story of God. And when we forgive others from the heart, we show others a picture of Jesus. And so we're going to start a series today called Forgiveness and Freedom, because I truly believe that when we um, are empowered to forgive, that we experience freedom in, in a whole new way. And so before I get into that, I want to start with this question pertaining to forgiveness. Have you ever made a mistake that you felt like was too big to fix? Have you ever made a mistake that seemed too big to fix? Um, some of you know that my first real job was as a recruiter for a staffing company. And so we would recruit different jobs, different positions for all sorts of companies. And we worked with some companies in aviation. And uh, I had a worked across from a guy named Dave, and he recruited aviation mechanics. That was like his specialty, his thing. And we worked with a new client called Talon who was hiring uh, for aviation mechanics. And Dave really struggled with this company because they would send back rejection letters on basically every candidate he sent them, he'd get a rejection back. And so Dave was really frustrated, and there was one day where he got yet another rejection email from Talon. And so he was, he was pretty frustrated. So he typed the words, I hate Talon, into a, what he thought was a forward to his boss. But maybe you've made this mistake too. Instead of hitting the forward button, he hit reply. And so this email with the words, I hate Talon, came back to the company for this rejection letter. And when Dave realized this, his face dropped, all the blood drained out of his face. He started panicking. He called the company, tried to apologize. They were very confused as to why he had sent this letter, uh, I hate Talon, to the company. And moral of the story, we lost that client. Go figure, right? Uh, did not do any more business with them. There was no recovery. And so maybe you can relate to that feeling of terror that Dave felt. You know, it might not be over, um, it, it might not be over a, a work issue, but it could be something else, right? It could be one that is maybe way deeper than just a mistaken, forwarded email. Uh, maybe you've had a time in your life where you said, man, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I lied. I can't believe that I got that angry with my kids or my spouse. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that we are all capable of wounding people. That we are all capable of wounding people, and we're also capable of being wounded by people. And that is a hard reality, and sometimes I wrestle with that idea that I have wounded people and have also been wounded by other people. A couple years ago, I sat down with another pastor who basically asked me to walk through the last 10 years of my life with him. And um, if you know kind of my journey, I, I've, I've been, uh, worked in a few different places, we've moved a few times, and have worked in some pretty hard environments. And what I didn't realize as, um, 
as he had me do this is that there was still some stuff there. There was still some bitterness in my heart. There was still some resentment towards people I had worked with. There's still some, some anger that I had stored up that wasn't resolved, and it messed me up for a whole week. Like, I, I, was, I was really in a funk that whole week because it felt like all of that stuff had been stirred up, and then realizing that there were wounds that I had made that had never been addressed. And um, it's hard when you realize you're carrying around that stuff. And so today we're going to talk about God's way of forgiveness, because forgiveness is God's thing. It's not our thing. Forgiveness is God's thing. And there's a great book out there by a guy named Brian Zahn named Radical Forgiveness. And I would recommend everybody read this book because it talks about how forgiveness is really at the heart of God. And in this book, Brian outlines the human way of dealing with our wounds. And he says the typical human way of dealing with our wounds is through payback and punishment. Is that when somebody wounds us, we seek payback or we seek punishment. So uh, we either want them to pay us back for the wrong that they've caused us, or we want to punish them. We want them to feel our pain. We want them to feel our pain. And I think that's completely true, that that's how we're wired to think. We're wired to think in terms of payback or punishment. Talking of emails, have you ever gotten an email message or a text that made you really, really angry? There's only like five people in here, so I don't expect an answer. This guy has over here, sweet. Uh, have you ever gotten an email that made you really, really angry? So what did you do with that? Um, I find that when I get an email that upsets me, if I respond right away, it's going to be either payback or punishment. I am going to be angry. I'm going to respond in anger because we all have a justice reflex, right? We want justice primarily for ourselves, but we have a justice reflex where we want, um, we want uh, others to do right by us. And so it's tempting to fire back a response right away. What I've had to learn over the years is to sit on it, even sleep on it, because I always regret those emails where I just rapid response, fire back right away. And so I've had to learn to give it time and just ask God, hey, God, give me your heart for this person. Help me not respond in my own human way, but God, give me your heart for this person and what's going on. And he always knows better. And he, God's always more gracious than I am. And God's always more forgiving, always more loving. Where I, my reflex is payback, or punishment. I want somebody to feel my pain, or I want them to pay me back, get it right. So, of course, payback and punishment are a part of our justice system, because we live in a society, we need laws to keep that society together, and if you break the law, you face consequences, you face punishment. The worst crime you commit, the worse payback or punishment um, you have. And in order to keep a society together, we need the law. But the message of the Bible is that if we're going to fix a broken person, we need more than payback or punishment. If we're actually going to heal a broken heart, if we're actually going to heal someone and take someone from being an enemy to a friend, we need more than payback and punishment. And so we're going to look at a description that God gives of himself, and this is found in the book of Micah. Because the idea of forgiveness, it doesn't start when Jesus shows up. 
sometimes we get this false idea that the God of the Old Testament is angry, mean, wrathful, and then Jesus comes on the scene and he's just forgiving and loving, and it's simply not true. Forgive, the love and forgiveness of God is a thread throughout Scripture. And here in Micah 7, 18, uh, God describes himself at the end of, of this passage, or this, this book of Micah, to give his people who are suffering hope. His people are suffering for the bad choices they've made, and here at the end of the book of Micah, God offers hope. So this is Micah 7, verse 18, if you have your Bibles. It says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us and he will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. So I want you to hear this description of God because it's powerful. In the first line of it, Micah says, Who is a God like you, pardoning and passing over our sin? This is the word. God doesn't just seek payback or punishment. God seeks to give us pardon. Pardon. God seeks to give us pardon. God pardons our mistakes and failures. God pardons our idolatry. God pardons our pride and arrogance. God pardons our sexual sin. God pardons all of the things that we are ashamed of. God pardons. And he's the only one who can because he's God. So we receive God's forgiveness in faith, and he wants to give that to us. It depends on our faith, if we believe it and receive it. But this is the way of God. The way of God is not payback. Hallelujah. Is not punishment. It's pardon. The way of God is pardon. And my first point today is this. While the world seeks payback and punishment, God seeks to give pardon. God seeks to give pardon. The word Micah uses here for the word pardon is literally the Hebrew word nasah. And what that means is to carry or to lift. When we make mistakes, when we sin, we all carry a burden around, right? Our sin is a burden on us. Our addictions are a burden on us. Our failures are a burden on us. And God, in his mercy, lifts those, lifts those. That's what pardon means, to lift that off and not to just get rid of it, but carry it on himself. And that's the beauty of the cross, is that God lifts our burden and places it on Jesus. The cross is where forgiveness and justice meet. The cross is where forgiveness and justice meet. And it's where we find our life and our freedom is in the cross. It's in the, the cross of Christ that God would lift that burden off of our shoulders and place it on the shoulders of Christ, the only one capable of actually bearing and paying for that weight. That is the craziness of the cross. When God forgives us, he doesn't, make it, he doesn't make all of our sin disappear, but he lifts it and he places it on Christ, and it is removed from us completely. All of our sin, all of everything we've done against God is resolved. Our debt is paid at the cross because of Christ. 
And that's where we find our freedom. And like it says in Isaiah, by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. Our wounds find their resolution, not in any person, but at the cross. And if we miss the cross, if we don't live in light of the cross, then we might spend our whole life seeking justice for the wrongs done against us. We might spend our whole lives wanting revenge, holding on to every little thing anyone has ever done to us and treated us wrong. But the message of the cross is that you have been forgiven much. So forgive much. You are free. You are free. Don't hang on to that resentment, that bitterness that eats away at your soul. You know it does. It gets your eyes off of heaven and places them back here on earth. But at the cross, we're all set free, and we find the strength to pardon others. But I also want you to notice this. I also want you to notice that when God pardons us, it doesn't mean that he just forgets everything, okay? He doesn't mean he just forgets it. God, God has not forgotten the cross. Jesus has not forgotten the cross. And it says this in Micah, going back to Micah, it says, He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That is important to remember, that God is angry when we mess up. It's not like he's stoic. He's not passive. He's not sitting there being like, oh, that's no big deal. Like, it hurts God when we mess up, when we sin. It hurts God, but he's quick to change his anger to love. Because, why? Because he delights in steadfast love. It doesn't say God delights in anger. If God delighted in anger, then we'd all be in trouble. No, God delights in steadfast love. He wants to show love. And, he and because of that, he doesn't retain his anger. He continually has mercy. He continually has grace for us because he's patient and he's kind. This is the way of God. This is who God is. He walks with us until we come to a point of repentance and a willingness to change, a willingness to give God control, a willingness to let the Holy Spirit lead our lives. So what if the problem, what, getting to us, what if the problem for us isn't, isn't our anger, but what we do with our anger? When we get angry, do we want to stay angry? Or are we quick to forgive? Are we quick to forgive? Do we want to stay in our anger and our, our bitterness? And, and, and do we want to live in that zone? Or do we want to give that up? Do we want to relinquish that to God, that, that desire for justice and delight in love? And delight in love. God delights in love. May we also delight in showing love to others. It's not a sin to be angry, it's not a sin to be wounded. It's not a sin to feel hurt, but if we follow Jesus, Jesus's way is the way of pardon. It's the way of pardon and forgiveness from the heart. So we release people from the debt, but that doesn't mean we forget what's been done. Jesus hasn't forgotten the cross. In fact, our whole Christian story is shaped around the cross. We take communion to remember the cross. Jesus wanted us to, so we don't forget the wrongs, we don't forget the wounds, but we release others from the debt that we carry against them. Pardon is a choice to release someone from what they owe us, not to forget what's been done. 
So here in Micah, we see that God quickly moves from anger to compassion. He receives the wounds, he lifts the wounds, and then it says at the end that he hurls them into the sea, that he casts all of our sins forever in the depths of the sea, meaning that that's a place that we'll never find and we'll never get to. That's what God wants to do with our sin, and that's what's been accomplished at the cross. So to become a Christian is to experience the freedom that pardon brings. But it's also the challenge of pardon. Pardon's not easy. Forgiving others is not easy. It's work, right? It's work. And another message I called, like, forgiveness, the dirty work of the church, because it's hard. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and be like, oh, this feels like a great day to forgive. Like, you have to make a deliberate choice to forgive others. You have to make a deliberate choice to give that weight up. I see this throughout Scripture, and and the one story I want to focus on today that shares this heart of forgiveness is is the story of Jacob and Esau in the Old Testament. I want to go with Jacob and Esau because it's very early, early in Scripture. Like, and I want you to see that forgiveness is very much at the heart of all of Scripture. And I'm going to start with the story of Jacob and Esau. I like the story of Jacob and Esau because I also have one brother, and we are also very competitive. And so I get it. I get this. I feel like I'm in this story sometimes. And uh, Jacob, one, Jacob was this deceiver and shady type guy, yet he had the favor of God, which was weird. And then Esau was this, like, uh, physical man's man, but, but was not smart and was easily deceived. And so um, to just kind of walk through this story, I don't want to, you may know it, I don't want to go and exhaust it, but these guys were twin brothers. Um, Jacob was named Jacob because it has to do with the fact that when they were born, Jacob was grabbing onto Esau's heel. So Esau was technically the firstborn son, and because of that, he got the better inheritance. He would become the patriarch of the family. He would have God's favor to continue the line. But Jacob really wanted that. And Jacob couldn't beat Esau um, in, in a battle of strength. So he used his mind and tried to manipulate Esau. And he did that. And in a moment of weakness, Esau gave up his birthright for a bowl of soup. Which, like, dude, come on. There's much better things that you could give up your birthright for. Um, anyway, so Jacob deceives Esau. He lies to his dad. He steals the blessing. He steals the inheritance. Um, but Esau is so mad and so frustrated, he wants to kill him. So his mom, who liked Jacob more, uh, gets Jacob ready and, and sends him out the door. And he runs and he lives with his uh, uncle Laban. And many, many years pass. Um, Jacob and Esau marry, and they have wives, which is another story for another day. And uh, we can get into that later, that whole polygamy thing in the Old Testament. We'll talk about that later. Um, and, and, and basically, he has wives and kids, and, and they all are established. And, and anyways, Jacob gets in trouble with his father-in-law, so he flees, but he flees right into the land where Esau was. And so Jacob fears for his life. He's like, oh no, it's been so long. What is my brother going to do when, I, when he sees me? It describes Jacob as greatly distressed and afraid. 
greatly distressed and afraid. And he has, right before he's about to meet Esau, the night before, he literally wrestles with God. He has a dark night of the soul. And he literally wrestles with God. And it says that God wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And after that, he gave Jacob the name Israel, which means for he had wrestled with God and with men and had prevailed. It's right after this crazy night that Jacob sees his brother coming. It says right after Jacob saw his brother coming toward him. So if you imagine being in Jacob's shoes, and Esau is coming with 400 men. So you imagine, oh, this is it. Like, okay, all of my... There's no hiding, there's no trickery, there's nothing I can do, I'm dead. Like, this is it, I'm dead. And we, we see this, he sees his coming doom. He, he'd, he'd ran for a long time, but this was the moment where he knew he was, he was a goner. And without God's help, we're all in that mindset. Without God's intervention in our life, we are all going to be accountable for what we've done someday. We're all going to be facing death with a feeling of doom and judgment. But it's at this moment where Jacob experienced the power of pardon, the surprise of pardon. I'm going to read what it says in Genesis 33.1. It says, And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put his servants with their children in the front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And then here's the line. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. That is powerful. That is powerful. So Jacob lifts up his eyes and he sees his doom coming. He sees his doom coming. An army that he couldn't, he couldn't defeat. He had wrestled with God, who is one man, he, it says, that he wrestled with. But now he sees 400. There is no escape of this fate. And so what he does as Esau approaches is he tries to look as pitiful as possible. He puts his wives and his kids in front, right? Real manly thing to do. And, uh, and, and he bows, it says he bows to, to uh, Esau seven times, basically expressing, you're in control, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. He bows seven times, but what happens? What happens? Esau runs to him, hugs him, falls on his neck, kisses him and they weep together like this is a powerful moment of pardon and this is the story that connects us to the the story in the new testament of the prodigal son the prodigal son came home expecting judgment uh, expecting to be made a slave but the father runs to him embraces him kisses him and invites him in this is what sincere forgiveness looks like this is what sincere forgiveness looks like choosing to love instead of holding on to a life-altering wrong. And we see grief. We see tears. We see that they grieve together for all that they had lost in their struggle. 
that they had lost relationship, that they had lost so much and they had hurt each other so much. But what's amazing about the story is that for forgiveness is the only way that we can turn enemies into brothers. They were enemies and now they were brothers again. Forgiveness is the only thing that can do that. It's the only way we can turn our enemies into friends. It has that power. Forgiveness is the only way that we can hope to experience restored relationship with God and with others. And so what I want to say today is that, that our Christian walk, our living our life in faith, it starts with forgiveness. First realizing that we've been forgiven so that we in turn can forgive others. Forgiveness is the way of God. It's not the way of the world, but it is the way of God, and it's the way of Jesus. So Jacob, in this, getting back to this story, this is a, a powerful thing that he says. This is the last verse I want to focus on. But if you go to verse 8, Jacob still feels this need to pay Esau back. He's like, I know I'm forgiven, but I really need, I really need to pay you back. I really need to do something. And so this is their conversation in verse 8. Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please. If I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. And then here's the key verse. It says, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Man. Jacob sees the love in his brother's eyes, and he says, that's the face of God. Jacob sees the forgiveness in his brother's eyes and said, I've seen God. I just wrestled with God, but this is God right here. That you would actually forgive me and accept me after all that I've done. After all of the wrong that I've committed you, after all the ways I've messed up your life, you forgive me and accept me and make me a brother again. And so Esau in this moment is a picture of the face of God. It's funny because Esau is not a celebrated person in Scripture. He's usually like the, the also-ran or, or even a villain at times. But here Esau is a picture of the heart of God in his face of forgiveness. Because the face of God shines love, acceptance, and forgiveness. We find acceptance and forgiveness in the face of God. We find love in the face of God. And this is what Jacob was seeing as he looked into his brother's eyes. So when we come home to Jesus, when we expect wrath, he doesn't meet us in wrath, anger, and disappointment. He meets us in acceptance and forgiveness. And this is God's heart towards you. I want you to know this, that this is God's heart towards you. When you come to Jesus, when you come before him, he's not looking to punish you and judge you. He's actually looking at you with acceptance and forgiveness. This is the heart of God, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. This is the heart of God. He doesn't have a cold look in his eye. He's, he doesn't show disdain. Instead, he has what I would call grace-filled eyes. God looks at you with grace-filled eyes, with accepting eyes. He knows what you've done. He knows how you've messed up. But when you come to God, he looks at you with nothing but grace and acceptance. I don't think there's anything more powerful than someone else accepting you 
after you mistreat them, after you wrong them, after you um, hurt them, in the fact that they still accept you, that can be either angering, <laughs> like, what? this is so frustrating, or completely mind-blowing. But it's good news. This is God's way. It's the way of forgiveness. And I hope we all experience this. And if you feel far from God, I pray that you would come home knowing that he loves you and he accepts you just as you are. And, and like a, a sinner prayed in the New Testament, we just have to pray, Father, have mercy on me, a sinner. That's, that's like all we have to do. It's just that acknowledgement that, God, I messed up. Jesus said after that man prayed that prayer that he went home uh, justified before God. And so this is, this is the thought I want to end with this morning. Because this is a call to us. I want you to experience the forgiveness of God, but I also want us to keep this in mind. When we forgive, we present the face of God to the world. Forgiveness is our opportunity to show the face of God to the world. So I want to ask a weird question. What does your face look like? What does your face look like? I, some of you are masked, so I don't know. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, and, and most of you are at home, so I can't see you. Um, but what does your face look like these days? Are people seeing forgiveness in your eyes? Are people seeing grace and acceptance in your eyes? Or do you have a hard stare? Are you angry at the world? Um, some of you know, I, I took two trips to London with a missions group there, and we did street evangelism. And I want to tell you about the worst guy I worked with. Not very gracious, but I want to tell you about the worst guy I worked with there. One day I spent with this guy, and he was just an angry evangelist. There is nothing worse than an angry evangelist. I'm here to say he was just angry. People would, would, would argue with him and poke fun at him, and he would call them stupid and idiot. And I wanted to get as far away from this guy as I could, because that was not my Jesus. That was this man's frustration. Like, this, he was not showing the fruit of the Spirit. He was not showing love, joy, patience, peace, goodness, all that stuff. No, he was just doing exactly what the world does, getting frustrated and upset and mad at people. As a Christian, we are called to have the same look that Esau had for his brother towards the world. We are called to have grace-filled eyes. Do you have grace-filled eyes? It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. It's work. It takes the Holy Spirit to, to, to change our hearts. It is not easy to live with grace-filled eyes, but when we do, we show people the face of God. You know, if you, it, like, we're celebrating Martin Luther King Day on Monday, and the reason why we celebrate that holiday is because Martin Luther King sought change through grace. And forgiveness, and he showed people a little glimpse of God's heart. And what I worry about today is, is that we would go away from grace and forgiveness, and that we would drawn to be angry at the world, or frustrated with the world, or, or polarized in a time where the church needs to be unified and loving to reach people in the world. That we shouldn't give ourselves, our hearts over to resentment, bitterness, arrogance, thinking that, that we're right and they're wrong. We need to see people as not as good and bad, but lost and found. And in grace, we need to go after people who are lost. 
And so if you struggle with resentfulness, if you struggle with anger towards the world, I want to ask you to pray today that God would give you grace-filled eyes. Pray for compassion for the people that you have a hard time with. You know who those people are. But pray for the people that you have a hard time with because God wants them to see him through you. When people look at you, God wants them to see himself in you. And maybe you're hearing this message today, and it's the first time you're really hearing about the forgiveness of God and how deep it is and how that's who God is. And I want you to know that God looks at you with those same eyes, those same grace-filled eyes God looks at you with because he wants you to be with him. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be restored. But what you have to do is take a step towards him. Agree with God that you need forgiveness. Take a step towards him and ask him to forgive you so that you can be free from your sin and then leave it behind. And I love in this story how Esau said that forgiveness was enough. Like he had enough. He didn't want Jacob to pay him back. He had resolved, like, no, I'm not trying, I have no angle other than just getting my brother back in the situation. Of course, Jacob insisted, and he accepted his gift, but that's what forgiveness frees us to do, to not seek payback, to not seek punishment, but just live in the grace of God. And so I'm really excited that we get to spend the next five weeks diving into forgiveness in Scripture. And I hope you'll be with us. Hopefully we'll all be here. We should be here next week. <laughs> uh, present. Hope you're present with us next week. Um, and I know that forgiveness, man, it touches something core deep in all of us in other ways, in, in different ways. So let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, I pray, uh, God, that you would give us grace-filled eyes that come from a grace-filled heart. Lord, that you would help us to realize uh, the love that you have for us. Lord, the acceptance that you offer. And Lord, help us align our lives under that love and acceptance. Help us to align our lives under the, the mercy of God, uh, knowing that we've been forgiven. God, help us never to forget the cross and what you've done. And Lord, I pray that you would give us all the power to forgive and to ask for forgiveness where we need it. It is not easy. Someone said forgiveness is never easy, but it's always possible. And so, Lord, I pray for that. I pray that the Holy Spirit would give us all the strength and power we need to live without bitterness, to live without anger, and to live without resentment. And, Lord, that's no easy task. But you are a great and gracious God, and we thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' name. Amen.